0: Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we are talking with Kim Hooper. She's going to be talking about her experience and personal story through recurrent pregnancy losses and how that led her to write a book along with her co-authors called All the Love, Healing Your Heart, and Finding Meaning After Pregnancy Loss. We're going to touch on things uh, like what it's like to have recurrent pregnancy loss, and she'll talk specifically about two ectopic pregnancies, an early miscarriage, and a second trimester loss, as well as all of the aftermath of dealing with that, both with her partner, and on her own mental and emotional healing journey. Kim Hooper is a writer. She has also authored four other novels, with her fifth, No Hiding in Boise, is coming this June. The book that she co-wrote with Dr. Hung Deep and Meredith Resnick is a mix of personal story plus information and awareness from the clinical side. They cover topics in the book like reconnecting with your partner after loss, and they cover things in the book like reconnecting after loss especially when you grieve differently, considerations for LBTQ couples, racial, cultural, and socioeconomic issues, trying again after loss, as well as coping and healing. Experiencing recurrent pregnancy loss is devastating, and it is its own emotional, mental, and healing journey. So I'm very grateful to Kim for bringing this to light and sharing with us her experience through her losses and what it was like to be pregnant again and have a healthy baby while still processing the grief of losses. Gage for yourself if this is something you are ready to listen to if you are a recurrent loss or lost parent. And if you're not ready now, just come right back on over when you are and we will be here. Let's meet Kim. Welcome, Kim. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I am grateful that you want to come on and talk about your experience and the book that you wrote. Obviously, you already know that in your experience that grief and loss in this way is not often or openly talked about. And so hearing personal stories and personal journeys like yours is really valuable so that people can know that, yes, you, you can get through this and no, it doesn't necessarily need to look a certain way. So um, yeah, I'd love to have you start wherever you feel comfortable.
1: Sure. Yeah. So my journey to motherhood was definitely way more complicated than I thought it would ever be. Mm -hmm. I think like many women, you think that you spend all these years preventing a pregnancy. So you think the biggest decision is just deciding to get pregnant and you assume it'll just happen. So, you know, I, the universe definitely had some lessons to teach me in that area. (laughs) My very first pregnancy was in 2015. I had no experience with pregnancy. So I didn't really, I I kind of knew something was off. I was spotting a little bit. I went to the doctor, they did some tests. They said, Oh, I think everything's okay. But then I kept having this and I started having some pain and they discovered that the pregnancy was ectopic. So stuck in my left fallopian tube, I had emergency surgery, which was traumatic in itself because I mean, the only surgery I'd had up to that point was getting wisdom teeth removed. (laughs) Like I had never you know, had this medical event that, you know, I was being told was life threatening. And so kind of just traumatic to my whole world view in a way, went through that and kind of thought, okay, now I've paid my dues. I've learned this mm-hmm. lesson. Like, mm-hmm. here we go. Let's like wrap mm-hmm. a bow on this experience and move along. And my doctor did say, I just want to let you know it, you know, miscarriage is common. So, you know, and I just thought, okay, I don't know. Ho-hum, you know, my second pregnancy, they did early testing because I had had the ectopic the first time and They found the embryo wasn't growing well enough, so they said it wasn't viable. So then I thought, okay, now I've had a second type of loss. And again, it kind of did not go according to what I had known about miscarriage, which I had only seen in the movies. Like you go to the bathroom, you have this sad event, and then it's sort of over. Mm -hmm. Mine was a missed miscarriage that didn't respond to the medication they gave me. So it took like two months before I was actually not pregnant. Yeah. It was just a long drawn out thing that I just, again, don't think like you were saying, there's so much silence on this topic. And I don't Mm -hmm. think people really talk about kind of the physical, emotional trauma that can go with a pregnancy loss. Right. So yeah, um, I went into my third attempt and my husband and I had kind of been joking at the time, like three strikes and you're out or third time's a charm. We were kind of just trying to, you know, we assumed like this one has to work and everything was going fine. All that we did a ton of testing, everything came back normal. And then at seven or at 14 weeks, they said my fluid was low. So I rested, they they couldn't really determine why. And then at 17 weeks, they found that my son's heart had stopped. They didn't know why there was never any medical reason. And that was just shocking because you just think when you get past that first trimester, you assume that you're kind of safe. Yeah. So, I mean, I had another surgery after that thought there's no way we can try again. Somehow we decided to try again, which I, mm. you know, think of that infamous definition of insanity. I mm. felt so lazy. My fourth one was another ectopic, if you can believe it. And the doctor was just like, this is just bad luck. It's terrible luck. And I just oh. could not. Yeah. I mean, doctors say the most insensitive things. Yeah. And I have several examples of that, <laughs> which okay. kind of compound the trauma of the experience for sure. Yeah. And, you know, none none of it made sense. And another thing that does not make sense is that my fifth pregnancy was totally normal. Textbook pregnancy had my daughter eight days before her due date, totally healthy after doctors had said that, you know, I would never have a baby of my own that I, you know, that it just wasn't going to happen for me. So after um, the fourth loss, they said that to you? Oh, yeah. After I think the third one is when I started getting extensive testing done. Uh And they said your egg quality isn't good. It doesn't really make sense that you're even getting pregnant. One fertility doctor who I still want to write a letter to said, it just seems like your embryos are destined to die. Oh, yes. And I said, (sighs) well, I mean, that doesn't make sense. My third pregnancy was not an embryo. It was a fetus. It was a baby. So, but I just kind of knew in my gut, I just kind of knew that this isn't right. Like, I don't know what is going Mm -hmm. on, but Mm -hmm. I just felt like I had to keep going. Maybe it was a little bit of insanity or stubbornness or just, you know, Wanting I mean, just a desire that came so strong. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, we had our daughter in 2017. So she's three. And I don't know. I tell women going through this, I'm like, you just never know. And science is great and doctors are great, but sometimes only you know your body really yeah. well. And you mm-hmm. kind of know whether you're ready to try again, whether you want to try again at all, mm-hmm. whether, you know, it's like such a personal thing. And I think everybody wants these pat answers that unfortunately they're not always available.
0: Uh, right. And to your point and to your experience, it's really our mind just wants to make sense of things and try yes. and like, is there a pattern here? Is there something that's going to give me an answer or a key that this time it's going to work? And the, oh, the yeah. hope and disappointment and the roller coaster of that is, is a big deal to go through. Yes. I and, and time four times in a row. Um, yes, especially. And and with recurrent pregnancy loss, it gets harder and harder each time. Well, yeah, yeah. because I think, like you said, the grief kind of compounds mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you
1: kind of get that never ending quest for answers. Like you said, I mean, I, I saw psychics. Mm-hmm. I went to every kind of specialist, holistic yeah. stuff, acupuncturists, mm-hmm. you know, like herbal medicine. Like I did so many things that were just in this attempt to just figure this out and make sense of it. So
0: yeah.
1: it can be very desperate feeling.
0: With the four losses you experienced and then a fifth pregnancy, what was that like for you? What was the mental, emotional experience going through the losses and pregnancy again and loss? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I write a lot about this in the book because I feel like there's so much emotion that goes with this type of thing. And Mm -hmm. I think when I was going through it, I'm like, it am I supposed to be this sad? Am I supposed to be this angry? I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. and I think just validating people and saying like, yes, this is a very emotional thing, even though people around you are going to be like, isn't she over this by now? Because first of all, our society is just not great with grief. Second of all, we're just not good with pregnancy loss. It's very hard for people, especially they don't even know that you're pregnant sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for them to relate to the intensity of the emotion for a child that you didn't meet. So Mm -hmm unless they've gone through something similar to themselves, they're probably not going to get it. So for me, that was very invalidating. And I had a hard time kind of wrapping my mind around my own emotions. So Mm -hmm. when I was going through this and with some distance enough to write the book, I kind of thought like, yes, all this is valid. I mean, Mm -hmm. extreme sadness, but to the point of of not just sadness, like, oh, I'm grieving my baby, but kind of grieving a whole worldview. I had always thought like life was very fair and there was kind of like a system to things and I'm very mm-hmm. type A like oh I do this and the right thing happens like mm-hmm. I did all the right things and I followed the rules and mm-hmm. still all these terrible things happened that were out of my control so kind mm-hmm. of feeling that that despair or demoralization that kind of goes with that anger mm-hmm. I was extremely angry at other pregnant women like mm-hmm. I just could not stand them I still have a hard time going to baby showers I mean mm-hmm. I still would prefer not to go. So anxiety, that was a huge thing with when I was in my fifth pregnancy, which first of all, I was in denial of being pregnant a fifth time, for, yeah. you know, yeah. the first th- of the pregnancy, because I was just, I, I can't even, I cannot attach to this baby. And just, I didn't tell anybody. It, it got to a point where people were like, it looks like you have a baby bump at work.
0: um, okay first of all
1: (laughs) i know i know don't say (laughs) anything, people i know it happened to be this um co-worker of mine that tends to be on the honest side (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i mean at that point i was like 23 weeks pregnant so it was it was fairly like obvious but i still could not bring myself to tell anyone until it was like in their face I didn't have a baby shower because I was like, mm-hmm. it's going to jinx it. I cannot mm-hmm. accumulate these things. I cannot mm-hmm. like, and people thought that was odd, but I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't handle it. So
0: right. yeah. People who have been through it will not find that odd at all. It, it's such part of the, the process in so many ways. It's, it's really difficult to hold hope and be afraid at the same time. Yes. Uh, and so it kind of leaves you just like paralyzed in a way that, Yes. Not going to say anything and still secretly hope that all goes well.
1: Yes. Yeah. It was a very kind of limbo feeling and just wanting to attach, not wanting to attach. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just, it it felt Mm -hmm. very fraught. It was very um, hard to kind of embrace the experience. And then even when I had her, I mean, I definitely had, I didn't have postpartum depression as much as postpartum anxiety, like
0: Mm -hmm, sure,
1: just thinking, you know, some, I I had, somebody had mentioned something to me about a baby drowning in a dog water bowl. So the minute she came home, I was like obsessed with the dog water bowls, even Mm -hmm. though, I mean, she couldn't even like lift her head, let alone crawl to a, a mm-hmm. water bowl. But I was like obsessed with these things. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I even think now as a mom, it kind of lingers because I just feel that life is so fragile.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how how could you not be affected by all of that? You're human. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and it puts you in a state of, of hypervigilance and fear. Yes. Um,
1: yes. Yeah. I will say there have been positives too, just to mention those Um, in realizing the fragility of life, you kind of, I think I have a gratitude and a patience with my daughter that I frankly would not have had if my very first pregnancy had been successful. I don't Mm -hmm. think that I would be the same type of mom that I am. I mean, I just don't sweat the small stuff. I'm very big picture grateful for For, you know, I mean, not that I don't have my moments, (laughs) but I I do think that there are things, but they come in with so much time and, and, you know, it it didn't help when people are like, you're going to grow from this. I'm like, I don't care about that. Like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I kind of had to like figure that all out on my own and find my own meaning in my own way.
0: So this podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs. What they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP? was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks.
2: You've come to the right place.
0: hear this so often, people who don't totally know what it's like, sometimes just trying to give messages of hope or something like that. Yes. And coming from very good places generally, but but you it's hope is not something you really offer somebody when they're in that kind of pain. Um you just yes. sit sit with them. Agree, um,
1: but I th- I think it's so hard for people to do that.
0: Yes, it is. It is yeah. I mean um, Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I, I realized even in my own experience, it's, even with what I know now, it's still hard for me to see someone in pain. I have to of really course. bite my tongue and mm-hmm. like resist the urge to, to jump in and fix it of and course. be, yeah. I mean, so I, yeah, I would assume for most people it's hard.
0: Yeah, it it is. Cause you don't want to see anybody in pain. You want to you know help them and yeah. fix, fix it for them or with them. But yeah, the, I mean, your journey is so with it, with the losses you experienced is sounds like it became so private and so internal over time and how did did people around you know what was going on for you yeah yeah
1: um i definitely had close friends who knew and my family who knew but even some close friends i think if they especially if they hadn't been through anything like this themselves or didn't already have children so they didn't have like a reference point for what that kind of bond would be. I Uh felt a little like they didn't fully get it. And I kind of felt like um, I was just like a downer, especially with these like recurrent losses. It's like I could just feel them thinking like, oh, she's trying again. Like uh, oh. you know, like or I, I don't know. I just felt like I couldn't mm-hmm. really you know share in a way that felt really supported. But then I would also find kind of acquaintances who became good friends because they happened to have this experience or something mm-hmm. similar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so my friendships kind of changed, and some of them have changed permanently, and some of them have kind of like ebbed and flowed in different ways. But there was support; it just didn't come from the people who I I would have considered my first. Supporters. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It, it shapes uh, a lot of things uh, for a lot of people. You kind of you find out what your needs really are during times like that, and who can right. can't meet you to offer that. In terms of your your partnership and marriage, what happened there in in relation to losses?
1: Yeah. So. It was extremely hard on my marriage. There was definitely times when I thought, I don't know if we're going to make it through this. And so I, I dedicated like a whole section in the book on this because I felt in talking to other women who had also gone through pregnancy loss, they had similar experiences. So I kind of, you know, delved into this, and my co-authors helped me. My my co-authors are um, a social worker, Meredith Resnick, and a psychologist, Dr. Hong Depp. And um, so they kind of had a lot of background to kind of inform my own experience Mm -hmm. about what happens with couples after loss. But um, personally, my husband and I just grieve very differently. He threw himself into all kinds of tasks. Like he was collecting signatures for like political things in front of the grocery Uh store. He was Uh biking 100 miles to San Diego. He Mm -hmm. was you know, scrubbing the cement in the driveway, like cleaning obsessively, like, but he couldn't actually talk with me about anything. And Mm -hmm. I mean, he eventually admitted something to me that I kind of have hung on to is just his kind of core belief system. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, seeing he's like, you're my rock. So seeing you crumble is just like, I can't deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like, yeah, I get that. Like, I get like, how unnerving it would be to see this person, falling apart in front of you that you rely on. And for the book, I actually interviewed him and we kind of put his interview responses in the book and he, you know, yeah. So with some distance, he admits like, you know, he, he just was afraid of losing me. He was afraid that this would change me forever, that I had become, you know, so entrenched in this grief that I wouldn't come out, that he wouldn't be good enough to kind of like raise my spirits on his own. Like, you know, so Yeah. With distance, I can see it and I totally appreciate it. And we came to a place of compassion in time, but in the moment, I mean, we went to counselors and I just thought he doesn't get it. He doesn't get me. He doesn't get me. We're like ships passing in the night. Like, you know, it's just, he wants me to get over it and move on. And I think he's an insensitive jerk. And, Uh you know, so, I mean, it was, again, felt, felt very just heightened in terms of emotion and
0: tension. And
1: I don't know. I'm sure you see that a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For for sure. It's, it's really difficult, especially because in part, some of the dynamic that you described, like one, uh, usually the, the supporting partner, the person who wasn't pregnant is the one who's like, uh, I gotta like yeah. keep stuff together and just be strong and move forward. And, and then, you know, sometimes after the person, the person who experienced the, the loss, uh, physically, um, and emotionally is take, you know, is taking their time to grieve. And as at some point when they start to come out of the fog a little bit, then sometimes a partner starts to do their falling apart. And so it is, it can feel like that ship's passing in a night. Like, why aren't we both grieving this in the same way? Why doesn't it seem like you're on my side? Yeah.
1: Right. And I think collectively we put so much pressure on a marriage that we think like, this person should be on my wavelength at all times. Right. So, and we forget that we're individuals and mm-hmm. that we come with our own kind of like emotional baggage or attachment styles or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Like mm-hmm. we come with our own things that affect how we grieve and grief really puts you in such a primal state that you're just you're not going to be covering it up with the niceties that you normally might have the energy for. So,
0: that is a really good point. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard to hold space for somebody else when you are, can, you know, hardly get through the day. Yeah, Uh, yourself.
1: So in writing the book, and when when we looked at different research that had been done there, there was actually a study done, it was done, I don't know, 10 years ago or so now, but they said that those who experienced miscarriage were 22% more likely to break up than couples who hadn't. And the percent was even higher for couples after stillbirth. Mm -hmm. And that the increased risk could last up to a decade. So I mean,
0: Like up to a decade later. Uh Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: it could be 10, you know, for 10 years after the carriage, it's almost like your relationship could still be recovering Mm -hmm. or that there had been damage done to the relationship. If you're not able to kind of reconnect and, you know, deal with the resentments that come up, that that could kind of trickle and have an effect for years. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, I mean, I know that sounds depressing, but to me, it felt like, yes, that makes sense because that's kind of what I felt like. I, I felt so resentful and alone. Mm-hmm. And I also knew, okay, this is something that we have to deal with as a couple. Like we have to get, you know, help with this. We have to seek out therapy because it's just, you know, we'd already lost these pregnancies. I didn't want to lose like our whole life together.
0: Um, right. right. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very difficult to to even know where to start or to have conversations about it, to connect emotionally when it feels like there have been such huge missteps in connecting. I don't know about your relationship specifically, but sometimes I also hear that it's almost like each person could be feeling the same thing, but expressing it in different ways and needing the same thing, but not being able to give it. Um, Yeah. You know, meaning like I just need validation and or and and both people need validation, but it's hard when you need it so badly to also give it.
1: Right. Um, Yes. I mean like you said, when you're so raw in the grief, like to me, I was only thinking I'm the one who physically went through this. Yeah. I have it worse off. I'm not thinking about him. Right, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I laugh now because it just seems in retrospect, it seems like, wow, I was like really, you know, in my own little world, but understandably, right. but um, yes. it's super hard for a relationship if both people are kind of in that space. You know, in their own ways. Like you'd have to be two very evolved people <laughs> to not have right. anything come up. <laughs> yeah, to test right. your relationship
0: during that time. So, yeah, it's extremely, extremely stressful. Yeah, and challenging. I, I want to go back to the point you made of uh, that you interviewed him for the yeah. book. So I, I assume you guys were able to talk about stuff at some point. Um, yes. Uh, to, yeah. for him to be able to do that. Wow, what a healing. I imagine anyways, like a healing opportunity just in that. Yeah,
1: it was. And he, he actually asked me, he was like, well, what do you think I could have done differently? Like what could I have done? I know. And I said to him, I was like, I really don't, I think the most either of us could have done was to have more patience for each other's way of doing it. Uh Because I mean, people are going to be who they are and have the needs they have and, I just think we each thought we were doing it the right way. Like, why aren't you, you know, I was thinking like, why isn't he more sad? Why isn't he falling Mm -hmm. apart? And he's Mm -hmm. probably thinking like, why isn't she moving on? Like why, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So if if instead of having that critical voice, we could have been more accepting of, and this has translated to other things in our marriage too, of kind Uh. of just having to be appreciative of the way somebody like feels or does things related to emotion. So, it was a huge it was like a boot camp for our <laughs> relationship in a way. And I mean, I like I said I don't think I would be the same mom if this if mm-hmm. I hadn't gone through all of this and I don't think that our marriage would have the same kind of
0: depth that it has. Yeah. I mean, be- because it, you it, could it, you found a way to come back together and 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 uh, do yeah, some repair.
1: Right. Like, and I wouldn't say that like either of us became different people. I think yeah. it's just yeah. that we accepted each other's way of doing things. Like, My husband is always going to be that one in the time of crisis who busies himself with tasks. Sure. And right now, I instead of labeling that as, oh, he's just avoiding everything. He's so annoying. I kind of look at it as he's struggling and this is his way. Like, mm. This is his way of suffering. It, mm-hmm. It's just, this is how he's showing it. Sure. And you know, that, I think he's lovely. learned to, yeah, and I think he's learned to be more patient with the fact that, you know, I need to talk about things, which is hard on him, because I think he would rather have silence to kind of process stuff. And mm-hmm. it's hard when my need conflicts with his. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah this but is... we've, yeah, we've kind of like had to learn. And like I said, because of the losses and, you know, having months and months of, I mean, years really like. The span of the losses of having to deal with that. It was kind of like a boot camp for our marriage. So,
3: hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced. So, differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
4: If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.
0: And during that whole process, or the whole time rather, you yourself are doing your own individual internal, trying to deal and cope with everything. How did how did you deal with this? What was your path to where you are now? Yeah.
1: Um- I mean, therapy, I'm a big believer in therapy. (laughs) Yay, Yay, me too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I cannot say enough. I actually just started EMDR for the first time because I I still felt like there was some leftover trauma stuff, Yeah, you know, and I'm all for that. And I think it does wonders for couples and individuals and Mm -hmm. journaling helped me. I mean, obviously writing the book was very healing for me. I'm a writer kind of, you know, By nature, I've been writing since a little kid. It's like my Mm -hmm. way of making sense of life and figuring things out. So I think writing the book was very healing. And I didn't realize how much I had to say until we sat down to write Mm it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then I just felt, you know, kind of like, okay, everything about this experience is now contained in these pages. It feels contained Mm -hmm. in a way. So I think that helped. And finding those people that, could relate and kind Mm -hmm. of building a community through the book. Like I'm I'm in, you know, contact with lost moms every day and it's nice to be able to be supportive of other people. It's kind Mm -hmm. of healing a two-way healing. You know, it all kind of had to happen on its own. Like I definitely felt like I was just falling apart there for a while, but at least I kept going to therapy, even though I felt like, I don't know if this was doing anything with hindsight. I can see, of course it was doing something. It was just part of the process. So
0: yeah, you know, there's there's no know, easy fix. For sure. Yeah. It and like you said, it is a process. And when when it feels so hard and so dark, it's it's hard to notice when there's a shift mm-hmm. sometimes that, yeah. that you could be possibly coping in a different way or making yep. some movement through. And and there's another piece too for a lot of lost parents is that sometimes like moving through the grief can almost be scary because it's. you don't want to, well, for multiple reasons, sometimes people don't want to feel like, oh, if I, if I feel better, that means I'm forgetting my babies. Um, Or if I feel better then something bad's going to happen again. Like it's hard to trust good. Um, Oh yeah.
1: I remember I write about this in the book too, about how one of the first times I laughed after losing our son. So the third pregnancy, I felt like I almost I like put my hand to my mouth. Like, oh, like why am I laughing?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. and you know, you just catch yourself in moments where you're like, wait for a second, I was mm-hmm. the person I was before this happened to me. And yeah. what does that mean? Like you said, there's kind of like mm-hmm. a guilt and there's kind of like a wait, I like the hypervigilance. I have to stay on guard here because mm-hmm. like why am i letting myself have of this moment of happiness so yeah it can be so very I, yeah i think that's normal though like i said mm-hmm. in, in doing and talking to people about that topic for the book i think that's definitely something that that comes up
0: yeah it's it's such a hard healing process because because of those types of things you were experiencing it like of course you don't want to feel horrible forever but what does it mean to feel any different it's it's a really And you can't know, you can't know ahead of time what it's going to look like.
1: Yeah, yeah. And but then there were other times, like I remember the first time like a song came out in the car and I started singing, which is like, you know, my normal Kim (laughs) thing to do. (laughs) And I kind of caught myself and was like, Good, you know, like, so I mean, it just depends mm-hmm. on the day and everything is so yeah. up and down. And like I said, for kind of like a type A person like me, that was very hard to accept is that, you know, where are these like five stages I can check off? Like, where's uh, this checklist? Yeah. Like, yeah. I just want to be done with this. And it was so meandering, and it still is. And there's still things that mm-hmm. come up. And sure. um, I think that's been good for me, but hard for me <laughs> mm-hmm. to kind of roll with it. So.
0: Oh, right. That it's not, I think, like you said, for your first loss that you can't just like wrap it up and be done. Right.
1: Especially Uh, as a, as a writer, I mean, I want the story to have this nice bow and let's tie mm -hmm. it up and, you know, like a beginning, middle and end and things just aren't that linear in life I've realized. And, Mm -hmm. you know, thing especially with grief, it kind of surprises you and shows up at weird times. And that's kind of just part of being alive, I guess.
0: (laughs) <laughs> right right and and you you i think in the title of your book part of the title anyways is you know finding meaning after pregnancy loss and that i know is a very hard thing when you're in it like why is this happening what does yeah. this mean why oh yeah. is this happening to me and i'm uh, assuming too like on your path that you've you've been finding whatever those pieces are
1: yeah and we're we're careful in the book to say because like like I mentioned earlier you do get a lot of that toxic positivity where mm-hmm. people are like everything happens for a reason it's God's plan right. like oh, and you know people who are kind of like launching meaning at you like <laughs> right. there's a meaning to this like you'll yeah. find it it's oh. they kind of like bombard you with these things and in the moment it's like you're not ready for that like no no. Nobody can tell you the meaning it's going to have. You have, it's your own thing and you can find it and kind, of, it might take years. It might be a very subtle thing that's very personal to you. Yeah. Um, but nothing that people say that try to like, quote unquote, help you along is mm. going to be, you know, helpful. So
0: yeah,
1: I think that's kind of the point we make is like, whatever meaning you find it's on your own time in your own way, you know. It's personal to you and your baby that you lost. And, you know, there's something very healing in that, but it's not anything that people can rush and there's no prescribed way to get there.
0: Yeah. All of those um, big unknowns, like uh, how am I going to get through this? It's you can't know until you are. Yeah. Until you do. It's it's really tough. I, I love that you have highlighted that kind of flexible that flexibility rather in thinking and, and feeling through this because that that's, at the end of the day, you, you're right. You can't force the process. <sighs> yeah. And it's so personal. I have to say, we talked to some women who were
1: like, you know, I thought this was going to be this like really just devastating experience. And I was sad, but then I kind of just moved along. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then there were other women who were just you know, devastated, brought to their knees for months. And it it varied depending on, I mean, length of pregnancy, but it wasn't like always consistent. So Mm -mm. you just realize this is such a personal thing. And however you're feeling is not wrong. Like however you're feeling, you're not like Oh, I'm I'm too sad. I'm not sad enough. Like I, I've heard both of those right. arguments. Like I feel like I should be sadder than I am, or I'm mm-hmm. you know I'm too sad. I need to stop crying. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just so much judgment that yes, um, yeah,
0: yeah makes you're it right. worse. You're absolutely right. I hear that stuff too, and and some of it is kind of this internal judgment, but some of it's external that uh, other people yeah. are kind of moving you along or like. Um, you know, in their own way. So yes, I will double and triple down on what you said that this is very personal and it's your experience and nobody else's.
1: Right. Yeah. mm -hmm. And there's so many different factors that can influence, you know, somebody's response to something like this. So you just don't know what somebody else is going through. It's like, you can see somebody on Instagram and they're like, wow, they're being so positive. Like (laughs) Mm -hmm. they just lost a pregnancy and they're being very, you know open and smiling and um, you just don't know like what the story is and what's going on behind the scenes and absolutely not, you know, yep. so it's just, it's important to remind people that because I think, and I was definitely looking for the quote unquote right way to feel after my losses and there just isn't a right way. It's your thing. It's how you feel. You yeah.
0: Know. And it sounds like that, that was the process through each subsequent pregnancy and, and the pregnancy of your daughter as well. Yeah. Yes. Kind of walking through it, trying to figure out how to feel.
1: Yes. Yeah. And feeling like, should I be over this by now? Uh Should I be sad? I mean, it it did vary with me too. I have to say by, by my fourth pregnancy, when that second ectopic, I was not that attached to that pregnancy and I felt a little guilty about it, Mm -hmm. but I just, you know, didn't, um, I couldn't get attached at that point, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas Mm -hmm. my first ectopic, my very first pregnancy was probably the most traumatic because it was, I just had never had a loss before. This right. was like my first experience with grief. It was medically scary. So yeah. it just depends. I mean, there's so many things that can, you know, influence your personal experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um so in talking to all of the people and including your own experience and your your co-authors, what have you are, are there any kind of gems or things that you've found that are, you know, similarities or or truths for people who have healed through this.
1: I would say that most of the healing comes kind of in a kind of what we're talking about, an acceptance of where you're at and kind of letting the different feelings flow through you. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much pressure in our society like we hate grief. Like we do not like grievers. We just want everyone to smile and go on <laughs> their way and right. I think people really slow down their own process when they get caught up in that like pressure. And my, one of my co-authors, Dr. Depp, she has, you know, was telling me about the second arrow, the Buddhist belief, how the first arrow is the painful experience. And the second arrow is kind of like you judging yourself about the painful experience. So, yes. you know, she, yeah. So she would say, don't second arrow yourself, Kim, like, <laughs> you know, this <laughs> is a lot of what you're talking about with your losses is second arrowing. And, um, so I think the healing comes when you kind of let the first arrow sit there mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, you can examine the pain and kind of grieve, but not judge yourself and contribute that second arrow because right. it just, it is what it is. You, you can't happy your way through it. You can't force it. You can't do affirmations to make yourself feel better or take bubble baths. It, mm-hmm. You know, it, mm-hmm. it just, it is what it is and kind of just letting it be what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, that's that's fantastic perspective and I guess advice too. If you can take it, um, if you can take it and incorporate it, I agree that the kind of insult to the injury is just a bridge too far. It's too it's too harsh if if you are there in your grief and then sort of berating yourself about it. Right. Um, yeah, it's very painful. Yeah, yeah. very painful. Yeah. So in the book, and it sounds like you guys put an incredible amount of thought and work into this to make it useful. Who's the like, ideal person who would grab your book?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, when we wrote it, we wanted it to be really comprehensive. So it could be somebody in the midst of a loss themselves or somebody even who has years distance from it, but is still processing some of the mm-hmm. trauma from it. Mm-hmm. It could be a partner. Um, And we have a section about considerations for LGBTQ um, couples, because there's definitely additional layers to that grief. We have, we talk about racial, economic, social issues related to pregnancy loss. So it it can be kind of like a bigger resource for people who just might be interested in the topic on a more structural level in our society, Mm. good for healthcare professionals, friends, family, if you kind of want to support somebody going through this and you're kind of wondering what their mindset is, it's a big book. So I like to tell people that we have a very detailed table of contents on (laughs) purpose because it does help people. I wouldn't expect anyone to just read it cover to cover. I would hope that you could flip to a section that speaks to you like, oh yes, that I'm relating to that today, or I want to look into that and you can just go to that section. Um, Oh, nice. I love that. Yeah. And the little sections are really short. So it's like, you can read the little entry related to what you're interested in and then move on. Mm-hmm. It's not like a linear story, probably because like I was saying, I learned a lot about things not being linear.
0: <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. So absolutely. yeah,
1: you can use the book, you know, kind of like as a comprehensive guide, but there's not like a right or wrong way to use it. It's it's really beneficial for anybody who has been kind of touched by this loss, either personally or professionally or,
0: yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I'm really glad to have this resource available to everyone out there. And I appreciate you for sharing your personal experience. And it sounds like there's a lot of you in, in the book as well as yep. from your colleagues. And, yeah.
1: Um, we're, that. Yeah. We kind of call it part memoir, part therapy session, because it's kind <laughs> of like my personal story. So you kind of get the nitty gritty of the the process that I went through with my with my grief and through my losses. And then Hong and Meredith can kind of weigh in and explain kind of what this reaction means or what is mm-hmm. going on in this instance or provide helpful tips where if you're going through a similar thing, here's some things that might help. So it, it's kind of like a balance of personal stories so you don't feel so alone mm-hmm. with what you're going through through with like therapeutic insight. So you have like a little therapy friend on your shoulder, sort of. Oh,
0: beautiful. <laughs> that's such a yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great combo. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So that is coming out very soon in March, 2021, and everyone will be able to go and and check that out for themselves. That's really exciting. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this with us.
1: Thank you so much. I hope it was helpful. And if anyone ever wants to reach out to me about their own story, I'm all ears. I'm sure you have my contact info somewhere related to the podcast.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. We'll have, we'll have all of that in our show notes. Okay, great. All right. Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kim, for coming on and sharing all of this with us. I am sure that this book is going to be helpful and supportive to a lot of people out there. You can connect with Kim at her website and on her social media links for Instagram and Twitter at Kim Hooper Writes. If you know of anyone who could benefit from today's episode, please do share this episode with anyone who could benefit from this information, education, and support. And we thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.
4: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together, we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom.